Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Last week we finished up character qualities for an elder. Uh, We looked at the desperate need for the word in the elder's life that he must hold firm. Verse 9, to the trustworthy word is taught. He must hold firm. The elder must hold firm. Because he is to be able to give instruction. So he is going to hold firm to the word so that he can then instruct in the word. And the other thing he is going to have to do is he is going to have to rebuke those who contradict it. He is going to have to rebuke those who contradict it. And... Truth cannot be compromised. What else cannot be compromised? Holiness. Okay, that will come in the truth. What about in the elder's manner? Okay, hopefully he's exuding character. But if I just if I just hammer you with truth, yes, yes, you know, love, grace, grace cannot be compromised. The truth is the the truth comes, and and this is the the great thing for the elder. He didn't have to be strong in himself. He doesn't, and it's probably better if he's not, because then he's working in his own strength. But he goes. In the grace and truth of the Lord. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm giving you a message, but behind me stands my big brother. He's really big. I go, I don't have to fear anything. He's, he's the one who's told me to do this thing. And so, you know, I listen to his word and I convey that word. And that's a great responsibility because if, if I'm getting wrong, hopefully he's going to tap me on the shoulder and go, ah, you know, he's yanking me back. That's not what I asked for you. So truth and grace cannot be compromised. Um, the messenger, uh, the messenger, the character of the messenger is so very important. The messenger must have that character. Otherwise, it's a contradictory message coming out of his mouth. You know, to have Benedict Arnold go on a speaking tour about the, necess- the necessity for patriotism. Go away. Go away. So right off of this, as, as he states, Paul states plainly, that the elder is to rebuke those who contradict it. He goes into a section here on contention. How we, how the elders are to contend for the faith. And therefore, how we are to contend for the faith. Because again, if our elders are doing it, it's not like we just say, Hey, go elder, go. No, these, these are things we should be desiring and seeking after in our own life. So we're going we're gonna to wade through this here bit by bit. 
verse 10. Shauna, would you read verse 10 of Titus 1, please? For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Okay, so he's, he's continuing this thought for, because, it's, it's off the same thought. There are, what? Before that, many. Okay, don't lose that. There are many. Should this surprise us? No. No. Yes. God has made plain, God has made plain to us that the way of life is narrow and few there are that go thereby. The way of life is narrow. If there are few that go thereby, would I expect there to be a whole mess of teachers? Or if there are only few that go thereby, that there are few that are proclaiming the word of God honorably. Aye. I'm sorry? Aye. 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 So does that mean we're the only church? Ethan Travis, that's, we're it, man. We're it in Wichita Falls here. No, of course not. Praise God. Praise God. You know, and I hope you are encouraged when you speak to brothers and sisters and you hear of the word of God proclaimed well, taught well in other churches, that we can, that we can glory in that. I mean, right next door, One Life. I've never been to a One Life service. I know Ronnie Whitfield uh, and Logan Draper less well than Ronnie. But the stuff I see them post is, it's not fluff. It's, it's hard. It deals with sin. It's like, oh, yes, go. Go, guys, right up the street. I've got friends further up the street at first. Um, and Bob McCarthy's, or McCartney's my neighbor. And I've not heard a bad word about Bob or the preaching that comes from his pulpit. From, his, from him. So it's like, go, go guys out there. Because there are many who are not. So, you know, we must hunger after, we must demand right teaching of our pastors, of our elders, of our teachers. And we must rebuke those who contradict it. Uh, now, unless it's really, really heretical, I probably wouldn't get up in the middle of Jeremy's sermon and start spewing it. That'd be something to take, talk, discuss after the fact take him aside, to take me aside and go, hey, Keith. Now, there's always opportunities in here for questions, and there's always misspeak, so, man, by all means, uh, again, to hold us accountable. False teachings are going to be there, and it's critical that in the church that it is vital that we hold to 
accurate teaching. So these guys here, um, great, great words, okay, uh, for these false teachers. They are, come on in. They are what? Insubordinate. Insubordinate. That is the, that is the same word up there in verse six of children who don't, don't listen to, who don't obey their parents. They are insubordinate. Okay? The word for insubordinate means you are unwilling, you are unwilling to put yourself under. You don't want to. Don't want to. And do it myself. I don't want to be under anybody's authority. It's the American way, after all. But that's not how God designed his church. Okay, we are under authority. We are under the authority of the headship of Christ. God has given us pastors and teachers and elders and deacons to lead and shepherd. Well, these are unwilling to submit. Rebellious is what the NIV and the New American Standard has. Unruly in the King James. I mean, this, this is contrary to the attitude of a believer. If I am unwilling to submit, I'm wrong. If I am unwilling to submit, I am wrong. I must submit. I must put myself under. As I put myself under the authority of Christ. They are empty talkers. We would call them gum flappers. Um, you can think of back to Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. It's a mist. It's a vapor. You know, this earlier this week, you had the, the fog starting early in the morning. The sun came, poof, it was gone. No remnant of it. Gone. Maybe a little dew on the grass. But it was there and it was gone. It was, it was nothing. It was empty. It, it provided nothing, provided no good moisture for the soil. Much like the words of these people. They're, they're contentious. They're, they're, their very language is just contentious. It's empty words. Where's the substance? Where is the foundation? There is no grounding. There is no Christ. They are not slow to speak and quick to listen. They're quick to speak. And oftentimes you will find them argumentative. And you will see throughout the pastoral epistles that Paul warns both Timothy and Titus against being argumentative for argu argumentation's sake. They're to rebuke. You bet. And that's it. Rebuke. Like a quick shot. Quick hit. Boom. There it is. And he's not just... This, this will become a, a beautiful picture here. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll hold on. On how he is to rebuke. He's going to get into that in detail, which is, uh, again, a beautiful thing. Um, so they're insubordinate, unwilling to put themselves under, gum flappers, and they are deceivers. They are deceivers. Intentionally or not? Thank you. Yeah, you know my stick. 
Yes. Yes. Um, if I am willfully teaching contrary to the word of God, I am deceiving you about what it says. I may believe that I am right about it. And so I may believe that I am not deceiving you. But if I am masking the truth, am I not deceiving you? Yes. Am I not a deceiver? Yes. And so how do I know if somebody's deceiving me? Oh, that's not what it said. I have no authority of my own, ever. Somebody saying something, I go, that's not what it says. You took that out of context. That's not what it says here. I don't have the liberty to amend this. We can amend our Constitution, and boy, that's a pain to go through that process. It is a long, slow, agonizing process, rightfully so, needfully so, but it can be done. This is not amendable. I must declare what it says. There's a way to do that. There's a, a hermeneutical way to study God's word, to understand, okay, is this history? Is this poetry? When was this written? What were the historical things that are brought to bear at that time? What does this word mean in this language? Uh, what are the some of the cultural, religious things that are brought to bear? And so... That's how I, I have to study it and understand it. It's not complicated. You do it every day. How? How do you apply this every day? And not, not to God's word, to the rest of your reading. We might read something and go, oh, that doesn't sound right. Or we might see something and because we know okay. oh, that's not right. Okay, so there has to be discernment in what you read within the news. <laughs> I, I'm going... You, you know this. Any news outlet cannot give you all of the facts. They can't. So what will they give you? What they have chosen to give you? In their mind, it may be the best, and it may not be. It may be skewed. And so we have to discern. When you read Dennis the Menace, do you read Dennis the Menace for wisdom for how you are going to train up your children? <laughs> no, you're, 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 that'd be stupid. You go, why would I do that? It's a comic strip, for pity's sake. You know, you, you don't read the sports page for recipes. He 
you go to the sports page to figure out, you know, how badly did Tech beat Michigan and how was it they beat Michigan? And oh, by the way, when is the, you know, the championship game going to be in, et cetera. And so you apply really a hermeneutic to all of your reading. You are discerning about this. Hopefully you don't read fiction and go, oh, this really happened. No, this guy really brought a guy back from the dead and he, no, he didn't. Mary Shelley had a bad dream. So deceivers, we, we have to be discerning. Now here's, here's a, the, the sad part. You look at the end of verse 10, you see this is, this is especially true among those on Crete who are among the circumcision party. Is this, a, is this a medical, you know, kind of the new natal thing? You know, the, the circumcision party. And the, what's he mean by the circumcision party? The rabbis and the Pharisees and uh, leaders of the law. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're Jewish. Simple. Let, let's keep it. Let's go simple. They're Jewish Christians. Who are demanding that other people be Jewish before they become. Yes. Judaism, uh, a precursor, probably. Yeah. There are things within Judaism we have to bring in to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Circumcision being one of them. And the Gentiles are going, what? And other aspects. Days and, and the like. And man, this battle was fought early on in the book of Acts. And it was seen that God was calling Gentiles to himself through Jesus Christ as well, apart from circumcision. They didn't have to be circumcised to become Christian. And nor, after becoming Christian, did they have to become circumcised. It was not a requirement. Vinny? Well, essentially they were adding works to grace. Yes. And you can do that in any number of ways. They just happen to want to bring Jewish tradition in. Yes. Jesus Christ plus nothing is my hope of salvation. Praise God. Otherwise, man, I'm, I am without hope. I am utterly without hope. And in my sanctification... As I live in Christ, it is still him who works in me to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So I continue to seek him and plead with him and cling to him. There, I continue in this. You know, it's, it's, it, is a, it is a tr tragedy to Paul. You can read about it in Romans 9 through 11. That his kinsmen in the Jewish faith don't get Jesus. They miss it. They just go, I don't get it. Paul goes, here, look what the word says. Look what the Old Testament says. And it goes, just ricochets right off their nugget. And they don't get it. But there are people who have grown up in the church and heard about Jesus Christ all their lives. They've gone, they've gone to Sunday schools and catechisms and everything, and they miss the gospel because they think, well, 
I've got to be baptized too. And then I have to be a pretty good person. And I've got to make sure we take communion every week. We've got to have it every week. Well, some people go, let's go. Man, we've got to have it every day. Well, and, and no. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Salvation in Christ alone. My salvation, my security is in Christ alone. Now, as I continue in sanctification, in growing, I move from this point of security and surety. And Paul is warning Titus about these guys, even there on Crete, as you appoint elders... And as we get into chapter 2 and he's going to talk about what needs to be taught, he first needs to go, this needs to be smacked down here. Wow. Wow. You bet. You know, for the Jews to be teaching the law which points to Christ, Paul just goes, oh man. So there is a responsibility to contend. Uh, verse 11. Uh, David, would you read verse 11, please? They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for, shameful, teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Okay. So back in verse 9, he says, rebuke those who contradict the word. Now he, he goes, okay, they have to be silenced. If there are people in the church teaching what is wrong, they have to be silenced. The word is bridled, muzzled. Dog, there's a dog across the street, man. I walk out my front door. I live here. You know, shut it. Or the middle of the night, you can hear dogs in the neighborhood. Quiet that thing. You want to muzzle it. Well, that's what, that's what Paul is saying to Titus here. If there are these people teaching this, they must be silenced. This is emphatic. I can't go, well, you know, hmm. this is serious. False teaching is serious. Fuzzy teaching is dangerous. If I am fuzzy about the word, I can't be. Now, there are things I'm not going to understand, I'm not going to get, and I will make that plain. I don't get it. But I don't reject it. I, gotta, I, I have to understand as best I can what it is saying to me 2,000 years later. To hear God's voice in his word to me. His, this, these are his words to me. There are things in God's word that are easy to understand. The kids upstairs are learning these things. Even now. They understand them. There are things that I call convictions. Where I go, you know. I, I will defend these things to my death. I believe them so fervently. There are things we can argue about. 
and disagree about as believers because we go, when's Jesus coming back? I don't know. I don't know. That's what they thought. And that's what I think, too. But we can debate about that. You know, what's his earthly reign going to look like? What do we, we don't know. We do know what Scripture says, and that's where we go. But how's that actually going to flesh out? Well, that hasn't happened yet. But the things we do know, we hold dearly to. The things of, you know, Deuteronomy 29, 29. There are things of of God that he hasn't made perfectly plain. And so we have to have the humility to be able to say that as well. But those who are teaching a false doctrine must be silenced. They're upsetting whole families, okay? Uh, it's why? Because it subverts everything they were taught. The families are going, what? Well, that's not what Paul said when he was here. They're teaching something different. Ah, you know, now we're going to split the church. Silenced. Teaching for profit. Teaching for, sh they, he says, for shameful gain. Teaching for shameful gain. So does this mean a pastor should not make his living from preaching and teaching? How do you know that? Paul talks about it. Say what? Paul says in Corinthians that they uh, have the right to earn that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Their goal. Absolutely. Those those very passages. Um, let's see where did I? Yeah, First Corinthians nine fourteen. 1 Corinthians 9.14 and Galatians 6.6. 6. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 9.14. Briefly. You know, Paul's talking about his, his rights as an apostle and the fact that he has really demanded nothing from the Corinthians. But that wasn't because he couldn't. Because he could. Uh, verse 13, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? That would be the Levites. And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. They got to eat the offerings. You offered it up and they ate it. It was great. Verse 14, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Galatians 6.6, 6. you can flip over just a few pages to your right. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So absolutely. Do not muzzle the ox while he is treading the grain. Uh, worthy of double honor. What does that mean? Could that be fiscal uh, possibly it depends on how the church wants to honor their leader. You know, how are you going to honor the one who shepherds over them? So it's important for us to, okay, that's not what he means. So what does it mean then that they are uh, 
teaching for shameful gain. What they ought not to teach. They're teaching for shameful gain. I mean, you could be teaching for several reasons for gain. You could be teaching for, oh, this guy's great, or you could money. Okay. Plant a seed of faith with your money. Oh. It'll sprout in your life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure it has. Sure it has. You know, they, they need a new car. Uh, Lamborghini would be good. So we could put one of those little uh, magnetic stickers on the side and people really see what, you know, that we are a quality church because we drive, you know, our pastor drives a Lamborghini. You know, that's, that's shameful gain. That is shysterism. Um, yeah. Silence. Such a person. I have no business, no business preaching and teaching the word. They're in it, they're in it for the gain. You know, it's not necessarily just fiscal gain. Maybe the ego scratching. Uh, you know, how many how many pastors have been lechers? That's okay. Ask your mom and dad. Oh, stepping stones, yeah. You know, that can be their motives, be another form of gain. Yeah, good. Excellent. So, he goes in here, and this almost sounds racist. One of the Cretans, okay, one of the men of Crete, a prophet of their own, so he's not, he's just quoting their own people, who, who said, of us, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So the people of Crete have a really bad reputation. And in fact, there, there's, uh, in my studies, I found that there was a verb back then that they used you know, to describe somebody who's lazy. Oh, he's, he's Cretaning, essentially. He's, 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 he's Cretaning his duties, not, not doing his duty. He's lazy. He's a slob uh, there. And, and so Paul throws that in. So interesting historical point. Um, but this is not how the teachers in God's church should be. Which goes into verse 13. Kara, would you read verse 13, please? This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be soundly faith. Okay. So here we go again. So this is the third time he said it in verse 9. Verse 11, they must be silenced. Here we go. Verse 13, they must be rebuked. How? And that's what it means. Bam. They need to be smacked down. Need, this needs to end now. This is wrong. It's inappropriate. Okay? Is this unloving? No. How do you know? Yes. Okay? He is not smacking them down just to lord it over them. He is not smacking them down to raise himself up. He is smacking them down for their sake. You are wrong. 
you are wrong. You are handling the gospel wrongly. How serious is that? Go to James chapter 3. Find out. Those who teach will be held with greater account. Held to a, a greater accountability. I just appreciate Paul's simplicity. This statement of them is made. He doesn't then start whining. Oh yeah, I remember when I was there. They were really horrible. It's simple. Okay, that's true. So what are you going to do? We'll confront them and then like you're saying, that they may be sound in the faith. That's showing the love right there. It's not that we can get back at them. That they may have a sound faith and grow. That word sound echoes throughout this letter. This is critical in the church that there is a soundness of teaching and doctrine. Talked about it last week, a broken bat. How does a broken bat feel in your hand? Yeah, you bounce it on the ground. If you've never felt a broken bat, it vibrates. Mentioned last week, you'll see baseball players do it after they, you know, crush a uh, fall ball. They'll go, oh, that felt a little wonky, and they'll tap it on the plate. They're, they're trying to feel if there's a vibration in there, which means the bat is broken. So if next fastball comes in and they swing with this broken bat, that bat's going to shatter, that ball's going to maybe dribble out, and he's going to be out at first, as opposed to putting it over the center field fence. So he needs a sound bat. We need sound doctrine upon which we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Okay, we need a solid foundation. And Paul is going to go right into that in chapter 2. And talking about the importance of sound doctrine. And my desire... For rebuking somebody. And so this is important as we understand membership in the church, becoming part of a church together, that you may get rebuked. Or it may be incumbent upon you someday to come up to me and go, hey, Keith, we need to talk. What you did there was not appropriate. What you said here, that was wrong. And why are you doing this? Yes, because you care about me. Thank you. I hope you do. I hope you do. And I hope you know that if anybody comes to you, and they may not do it this way, may feel like they're taking a bat, might feel like a broken bat. Hopefully not. Hopefully they come in grace and truth to bring this rebuke but give them the benefit of the doubt that it is in love. Don't get, don't rise up. Don't get uppity. So important in the body. As I rebuke, this is so important too. I cannot divide manner from message. What happens if I use a proper manner but deliver the wrong message? Still 
Yeah, I, I leave everybody in sin. You know, everything is still a mess. What if I deliver the right message, but in the wrong manner? You always be gong and clang. Yeah, I may not even be heard. What's your deal? Man. I, I don't, I lose the hearing. I lose the hearing. And so you cannot divide the manner and the message. And the, the whole purpose is restoration. That word for soundness was back in verse 9. Sound doctrine. That they might be sound in the faith. Notice that verse 14, that they not be devoted to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the faith. Okay, Jewish myths. What might those be? There's debate. There's the this, this specialty of days. Um, that which comes from following after the law, blessings that may come from following after the law, but there's, there's debate. But what you see plainly is that this doctrine turns people away from the truth, which again is why it is so critical that we know the truth. That we cling to the truth, that we stay in the truth here. Verse 15, verse 15 and 16, really, really powerful. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbeliever, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Now, the start of verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. Yay? Nay? Oh, that, that a question? To the pure, all things are pure. Yes? Really? <clears throat> I think it's a play on words there. Believable. Not, I mean, as deceitful. Trustworthy. As pure. Or being naive. But it's not any better. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That can be read one of two ways. Delight yourself in the Lord and you get a Lamborghini. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you new desires. He will give your heart new desires. I believe that is how you see this play out. You see the same thing in Proverbs. That was Psalm uh, 37 dash 4, 37. 37.4, uh, Proverbs 11.23 says, the desire of the righteous ends only in good. I shared with my daughters the quote from Augustine this week. Love the Lord and do what you will. Do what you want. Love the Lord and do what you want. And initially we recoil and go, I need some more law thrown on this. You go, there's got to be some boundaries. There is your boundary. If you love the Lord, you can do what you want because you won't run contrary to the will of God in your life if you love the Lord. Love the Lord and do what you want. To the pure, all things are pure. Yes. That is their desire. 
That is what they hunger and thirst after. To the defiled, nothing is pure. This is Romans 3, 10 through 18. There is none good, no, not one. They all seek after their own way. You know, death, destruction, it's, it's, it's our hunger. In Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees are dogging the disciples because they don't wash their hands. And, and Christ turns to them and says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And they would counter, we know God. Verse 16, we know God. We know God. But Paul tells Titus, by their fruit you will know them. They deny him by their works. So what does that demand of you? How about with regard to the elders and those who teach? If, if, it's, if, if I stand here and say, I know God, but then I deny him by my works, what does that demand of you with regard to me? You got to examine me. You got to watch me. Now you're not following me around going, you know, Let's see if he stumbles. Uh, but, but how do I live my life? It should be open enough for you guys to see it, to hear about it. It's more than just what's posted on Facebook. There. People will profess to know God. People will profess to know God, but deny him by their works. Paul Paul pulls no punches. They are detestable, they are disobedient, and they are unfit for any good work. Which then begs the question, who can labor in the church? Who can labor in the church? To whom should we allow the opportunity to teach in the church? Is this a cavalier question? Is this like, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. Hey, you want to church or you want to teach? Great, you can teach. Oh. Well, we need teachers. We need Sunday school teachers. I know our Sunday school teachers need a break. Can anybody teach? No. But they're just they're just teaching kids. Right? All the more. Yes. Yes, they're just teaching kids. Don't even say that. Don't even think that. Oh, they're teaching kids. Does this, does, does this apply to our teachers upstairs? Absolutely. 
This is, this is true of all ministry. Okay? We here in our church, we have set a standard as far as the teachers are concerned for membership. Why? Because you have, you have agreed essentially to join with the church there and we agree on the major doctrines and essentially you have proven yourself in the body by your life and we examine and you are you are you are subordinate you have subordinated yourself to the church but we do let non-members minister here in the church, uh, with regard to the reading, with regard to helping in the nursery, with regard to uh, work days and the like, and cleaning, and, and uh, did I mention music? Anybody's got a musical gift? Or anybody wants to play or sing? You're welcome. C.S. Lewis, great C.S. Lewis quote, he said, of all bad men, Religious bad men are the worst. <laughs> of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. So we cannot be apathetic about this in the body with regard to the teaching. So just some, some quick takeaways here. How fervent was Paul about the establishment of leaders on the Isle of Crete? So far. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is really a sobering first chapter. You know, he's talking about elders, the qualifications for elders. And, okay, well, that's great. And then he goes to, why? Because these are the guys who need to contend and keep the doctrine pure, to keep the church pure, to keep the teaching pure as the church is growing here. So if Paul was that fervent about the leaders in Crete, how fervent should we be about the leaders in our churches, really across our country? And even here, on the tiny corner of 8th and Travis. Um, also, as you, as you note, it is not going to be from the outside that the church is destroyed. It isn't going to be because the laws are changing in the United States and, you know, okay, there's going to be pressure. You can't teach this. You can't teach that because we're going to go, well, that's not what God's word says. So we're going to have to come what may. The problem is going to be right here. Weeds cropping up within our own hearts, within our own pews. And so we need to be vigilant, really. Again, not to... Not to hammer people. You know, I don't want to be that naggy little old lady. <laughs> or old man, as the case may be. But it's my responsibility to exhort and encourage you in your relationship with Jesus Christ as it is yours to me. And notice, notice verse, <coughs> chapter 2, verse 1. And this will take us really into next week. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is what Paul has given to Titus to pastors, therefore you must teach what accords with sound doctrine, which is why we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, most of the time 
through the Word of God so that we get it all. We hear it all. And we hit those really difficult verses and we don't just skip them. We wrestle with them as best we can. Comments or questions on contending for the gospel? Any, any final thoughts? I like the part about the Cretans as far as not being able to use your upbringing or culture as an excuse for misbehaving or sin. Just the way I am? Yeah, man, it's yeah. just what we were raised. <laughs> well, yeah. New life, new creation. Amen. Good, great point. I mean, personally, I would say I love to hear comments even if it's not a rebuke. You had questions. What did that mean? Love to hear what people have to say. The questions that are arisen don't know how to answer. Yeah. And we talked about this before, and the kids are going to come down, but um, yeah, you can, you can probably find it out on Google. But God didn't give you the Google. Google is not Christ's body. This is. And asking questions within the church builds up the church. It builds up the church. It builds you up as the one asking the question. It also builds up the one who gets asked the question because now he has to think through that doctrinal truth. You know, and perhaps other hearers, other people may hear that question. So really, man, that relationship within the body just continues and grows. We're out of time. That's it.